At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. This week, I got the opportunity to sit down with Esther Choi, chef and owner of Mock Bar and the host of Hotline Offline, another great show in the Food 52 podcast universe that sets out to answer your cooking dilemmas. In this episode, we'll get to hear about how a young Esther learned how to make dumplings and kimchi with her grandma, and how we can better hold on to our family cooking traditions. But first, here's Esther to share the story of how a hometown restaurant led her not only to her first job, but also became an inspiration for her very first restaurant. My first like restaurant experience in my childhood, uh, in, in my hometown, was this restaurant called Hanabi. And mm -hmm. it was a Japanese restaurant, but uh, run by Koreans. And it was 20 seat, really, really tiny hole in the wall, wall restaurant. And it was my first restaurant experience and my first experience eating sushi in general. Mm. I think that that like really kind of stayed with me. And I have so many memories of just everything, restaurant to, you know, the food and why I fell in love with restaurants and operations and things like that. Um, and I started really young at like 14 years old. So I think that being my first job ever kind of like stayed with me. And I have this theory where, you know, the first job that you ever uh, take as either, you know, a teenager or, or whatnot is the job that you're going to have forever in your career. Hmm. You always come back to it. This is like my weird theory, but in my case, it definitely was that. I always somehow like came back to the restaurant industry and food related things. If it's the first job that you aim for, then it's probably something that you're going to be drawn to later in your life too. Is that kind of what informs that theory for you? Yeah, I think so. And I, I kind of like read it somewhere where, you know, it, at, a, at a young age, if you start something, it just like stays with you. And somehow you always want to be like drawn back to that. But I don't know, it might be just like a theory. But for me, it definitely was. It was my first restaurant job at 14 years old, and it was the the hole in the wall Japanese Korean restaurant. Yeah. And now I own a Japanese Korean restaurant. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's just like it, for me, it was such a big eye opening experience, especially as a child. And you know, growing up in a really small small town, there was no like Japanese restaurant. There was no sushi, so that's why I've never mm -hmm. had sushi before. You know, like I didn't have it until I started working at this restaurant at 14, it kind of like blew my mind. Like it opened my eyes to this whole new world of things. What are the things that stuck with you so much that it became your career later on? 
the food aspect, first of all, I was mind blown. I didn't even know that food could taste like that. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was just such a such a mind blowing experience in in terms of my taste buds. It was a family owned business. So just the way they operated the restaurant and how successful the restaurant was in a tiny town and, you know, the service that they were able to give to a town that didn't have a restaurant like that. It was special. It was so special. And that always like stuck with me. Mm -hmm. Do you remember any of the specific dishes that the chef would come up with? Oh my gosh. I actually named some of the dishes from that uh, restaurant uh, at my current restaurants. They made this hashimi salad uh, with all of the leftover fish. Uh, Mm -hmm. So there would always be like leftover scraps of the fish uh, that didn't make it into the rolls or sushi. And he would just chop it all up and mix it in this big batch with iceberg lettuce and uh, spicy like gochujang sauce and Mm -hmm. some vinegar and some QP mayo. And he would just like toss it all together. And it would just be like the most delicious salad that I've ever had. And it was just my favorite thing ever. And he would always make it for family meal. And so I named this uh, sashimi salad that I make at my restaurants, Hanabi salad, and it's uh, a winner. People love it. So the one that you have in your restaurant, is it basically the same as what you had uh, back at that first restaurant or um, have you updated it at all? I definitely updated it. Um, I add, you know, nicer cuts of fish. I add some like crab meat, some um, fish roe and uh, different types of lettuce in there so that it's not just like iceberg lettuce. Although I really loved the iceberg lettuce. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was just like so crunchy and crispy. But I did jazz it up a little bit. And, but that salad for me will always be one of like my main dishes and my main like salads that I just like love so, so, so much. The dressing, however, is exactly the same from my memory, oh. at least. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. Like kuchujang, a little mayo, rice vinegar, sesame oil. Um, it, pretty simple, but like really complex too. I have this very fond memory of uh, obviously being in the kitchen with my grandmother. She was sort of our like in the neighborhood that I grew up with in the Korean community. She was like the lead like cook, like the lead chef, like she, everyone went to her for all of their like cooking questions. And she always threw the most amazing like dinner parties. And if there was a celebration, she was the one that was doing all the food. And so I think that I kind of learned that from her, you know, she was just such a leader in the kitchen and, you know, I would follow her around and she would spend the whole day from morning to night, always in the kitchen. And she had this amazing garden 
that she made in our backyard. It was it was huge, but it was all different Korean produce that you know, was not very accessible to us. So she would get seeds in from Korea and would plant all of her own vegetables, Korean vegetables, uh, specifically like perilla uh, was a big one, Korean squash and Korean cucumbers, and also a ton of Korean chilies. And, you know, she planted all sorts of vegetables, but, you know, she would be like, okay, it's almost dinner time, Esther, go out to the garden and pick out, you know, whatever, a basket full of like perilla. I would like always be her like right hand where I would run around and like do whatever she needed me to do. And I I did that at a really young age. I just wanted to be in the kitchen with my grandmother. I didn't want to play outside with the other kids. I wanted to be in the kitchen. I wanted to see what she was doing. I was so curious what she was making. I grew up making kimchi with her and dumplings and, and all these things. And I don't know. I was just so obsessed with like being next to grandma, seeing what she was up to. And she's just like, she's amazing in the kitchen and she still is. So I still call her now, you know, asking her for recipes and things like that. That's beautiful that you still have the chance to do that. I'm lucky. Um, so I, I like, I feel like I need to like write down all of, all of her recipes, but you know, I'm, I feel like sadly I'm like running out of time. So I, I definitely need to get on that. Well, I know that in uh, one of your episodes of Hotline Offline, you talk with your sister about the family tradition of making mandu on New Year's Day. Could you tell us a little bit more about that tradition? Yeah, of course. I mean, this for me is a yearly tradition with our family. Uh, every New Year's or Lunar New Year's, either mm-hmm. or, we'll pick a we'll pick um, one or the other, and we'll like all come around and make dumplings together and. It would be an all-day affair. Grandma would make the whole, like, huge batch of filling, and it's, like, a crazy amount. Like, it'd be this huge tub, and she, like, puts it in the middle of the table, and it covers, like, literally the whole table. And we will all sit down uh, with spoons and just, like, gather and talk and make dumplings. And, you know, throughout the day, people will come in and out of the, the kitchen and make dumplings, and we would just, like, all you know, hang out, talk, drink wine, eat some dumplings, uh, fried, sometimes st- steamed, you know, depending on what we're in the mood for. But we just like make dumplings and eat dumplings and drink wine all day. And it's just like this. So it's such a special thing. We, I did that since, I mean, I can't even remember because I, I did it every year since pretty much I was born, I guess. And so I, I don't remember when it started because I, it was just always in me from the day I was born, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it's a really special memory and we still keep the tradition and we hope to keep it alive through generations. Do you feel like there have been some years that like a certain trick came out or you you learned something new within that tradition? I don't think I learned any. There was no aha moment because yeah, mm-hmm. it was just embedded in my soul, meaning like my mom and grandma like literally like pounded in our head saying like you have to make your dumplings look pretty because huh. that like ugly dumplings ugly babies pretty dumplings pretty babies they like embedded that in our brains so like since a really really young age it was like trained in my mind that I had to make beautiful dumplings so even now, like, this is what I tell all of my staff and, you know, my prep cooks who make our dumpling. And I'm like, you got to make the dumplings pretty. 
<laughs> because if you want it, if you want your children to be pretty, your dumplings must be pretty. And actually, like on our menu, I named the dumplings 할머니 만두, 할머니 dumplings, and 할머니 means grandma, so it's an ode to her, and it's her recipe. That the dumplings are the, in the shape that she wants it to be. <laughs> so, so trying to keep that tradition alive. Hey, it's Kristen. If you're enjoying this chat with Esther as much as I did, head over to the Genius Recipe Tapes and hit follow so you don't miss out on other stories like this one. And like our recent episode with Roxana Julepot about her cookbook, Mother Grains, in which she shares the secret to making the same excellent chocolate chip cookie recipe completely new eight different ways just by switching out the flour. In the second half of this episode, Esther and I talk holiday disasters, pantry hacks, and a caramelized kimchi technique that is the definition of genius. Meet you back here for that. Well, before you got to opening your own restaurants, it sounds like you worked at a lot of like my favorite restaurants in New York City. You were at La Esquina and Ilili and, and then Mokbar where... I just miss your, like I was saying before, I miss your kimchi ramen so much uh, now that I've moved away from New York. So I know there must have been so many learning moments in all of those kitchens. But if if you were to think about it, what comes to mind as kind of the most salient ones that have stuck with you in your time working in various restaurant kitchens? I think the biggest thing for me is learning how to adapt in any kitchen environment. I think that's probably the most important thing because not all kitchens are alike and your food will come out differently depending on where you cook your food. So it, it's kind of, um, yes, it's important to like follow recipes and, you know, knowing how to, you know, cook something right. But it's also depends on the environment, like cooking a piece of fish, for example, right? That piece of fish will cook differently in all the different kitchens and the pans that you cook them in and their environment, the, the temperature. Um, also, I'm big on like the atmosphere and being in a happy at- atmosphere and making sure that your f- your food will turn out like how it is. Like if you're cooking in a, in a very angry kitchen, <laughs> like a, and if you're not happy, then that's how the food will reflect as well. And I think throughout all the kitchens that I've worked at, like that, that's the biggest thing uh, to me is definitely the environment and the cook, right? So yes, building skill is important. And of course, you know, that comes with experience, but I really think that your environment that you're cooking in is the number one most important thing that you should think about and um, making yourself adaptable to that environment that you're cooking in is is really important. It'll, It'll make you such a better cook as well. Good words to live by in a restaurant kitchen and good words to live by at home too. Right. Even at home, right? Like if you're busy with children, you have a job, you have like a million things to do, like you still need time for yourself and you still need to like set a, like consciously set aside time to, you know, meditate or do whatever you need to do to not get there and burn out because it's Mm -hmm. a disaster. (laughs) If you burn out, it's just like nothing is productive and you're miserable and you're going to make everyone else miserable. I would love to talk about your show Hotline Offline on the Food 52 Podcast Network. 
You just wrapped season one. Is that right? Yes. What was that like for you? What did you learn in in doing a whole season of this show? And and also, if you can introduce the concept to our listeners, too. Of course. So a Hotline Offline is a series where, you know, we dig into a topic and, you know, there's a slew of questions that people or even me or and people like will ask in questions and they'll call in their questions on a certain topic like let's say if it's sweets, then we'll get a bunch of questions in about sweets and then I'll have some of my own. And while I talk to an expert in their field, then I'll just like start digging in deeper because I'm just like a curious person in general. So it's been a really, really fun experience um, and a great learning experience, especially, you know, as a chef, you can't stop learning. And I think that's like the biggest thing. And, you know, there's so many people that are, so smart and experts in what they do. And it's like bringing some of these things to light. And I just feel like every episode that we had, I've like gotten to learn so many good tips and how to be a better cook, a better chef even, and even sometimes better like person. (laughs) yeah no seriously (laughs) so uh yeah I just feel like it's been an awesome experience I've loved talking to you know all the guests who are just so great at what they do there's so many smart people out there you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like yourself Kristen oh (laughs) (laughs) well um I would really love to know if there were any you know, tips from guests that you found especially memorable and especially now that you mentioned how to become a better person through <laughs> these cooking tips, um, you know, anything that comes to mind, but especially the the humanity one. Oh, gosh. Now I, I regret saying that. <laughs> um, well, I was going to say the bread baking episode for me with mm. Maurizio Leo was awesome. Only, I mean, that episode I learned a lot only because I'm not a bread baker and I've Mm -hmm. already was very curious to, you know, learn about bread baking and it was like ready to like, you know, dissect his brain. So for me, it was very enlightening and it made me want to, you know, really do it and not just like say I'm going to do it because I, I, you know, people say, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And they never do it. And I feel like sourdough bread baking is one of them uh, for me Mm -hmm. at least. But I really felt like it doesn't seem like too hard to just like start doing it. And, you know, obviously with bread baking, patience and all those things is important, but I I just felt like so inspired to, to bake some bread. So I really love that episode. When we talk about like the holidays and things like Mm -hmm. that, like when we talk about food and gathering, that's when like, you know, you start learning like, oh, this is how you become a better person because you bring like you bring all these people together and we talk about like the different like traditions behind, you know, uh, the holidays and things like that. And I don't know, it's just beautiful. Even in just like such a small way, uh, listening to your episode with uh, Ella Quitner about holiday disasters, it seems so obvious and it's so small, but like, you know, her saying that her her main holiday hosting tip is just like put the wine by the door and say like, help yourself to the wine if it's there. That struck me because I feel like, you know, I haven't really been hosting a whole lot these days, obviously, but even before um, the pandemic, like being in New York, 
there wasn't really space to to have people over. And so I think entertaining becomes this intimidating thing in your head, right? And so for her to frame it like that, that, that's sort of become her tradition of how to make entertaining casual and welcoming and put people at ease the moment they walk in the door. So I feel like even in small ways, those tips can kind of be applied and become traditions for yourself, even if they don't have like capital T tradition or holiday written all over them, you know? Right, right. No, I love that. That one's a great one. And I'm going to steal that actually, now that I remember. <laughs> like put the cocktail cart at the door. Like maybe put it like outside your door. <laughs> yeah. Then they'll know it's you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just grab a like drink a, before you come in. <laughs> yeah, a cooler of beer. Like <laughs> they know what this is all about. From the moment it. they walk in. Yes, yes. Love it. It's easy to get so stressed out about like, do I have everything ready? And like, did I think about everything? It's like, well, just think about one thing. Like, you know, how are they going to have a a drink in their hand when they walk in the door? That's that's like gets you, you know, 80 percent of the way there, probably. And once someone has a drink, it's like they're good. (laughs) Uh (laughs) They're good for a bit, at least. Yeah. 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 Are there any other tips that you heard while recording Hotline Offline that you think just everyone should know? Yes. This is another dessert one. So Caroline Schiff, we talked about desserts and she has a never ending vanilla extract, kind of like your sourdough starter, but Mm. vanilla extract. So I just thought that that was brilliant because number one, vanilla extract is very expensive. Like vanilla in general is expensive. But if you have this like never ending jar that you just keep replenishing, I just thought that was so genius. Like everyone should have that, right? Like, I mean, there's so many usage of that. I thought that was brilliant. And I um, definitely will take that tip and use it at like all of my restaurants, gift them as well. I know it's a very specific tip, but like, honestly, I just thought that, you know, for me, it was kind of like, oh, why, like, why didn't I do this before? So how does she do it? Is it like just anytime she uses a vanilla bean, she just adds it in to alcohol? Yes. So she has a jar. And obviously when you're first starting it, you just use the uh, vanilla pods that you've already scraped, add, you know, a neutral alcohol like vodka or whatever. And then to that, you just keep replenishing it. Every time you use a vanilla, you can add it. And if you use some of it and use some of the extract, you can add more alcohol and then it'll just keep replenishing itself. I really love the episode um, on talking all things pantry. I felt like uh, I, I got a lot of good tips on how to organize my pantry and what I can use in different ways. Um, I got this tip by Sarah Jample where she would like write a master list of like everything that's in her pantry. And then she would post post-its like on the on each shelf so she knows exactly what's on the shelf because I feel like in your pantry especially mine it's a total disaster and it's just always just you know building and building and I don't even know what's really in there anymore Mm -hmm. but if you just like every time you buy something special you like write it on the on the list and now you know exactly what's in your pantry all the time and I, I just felt like that was brilliant because I I do feel that this is something that people go through. It's like, Mm -hmm. you don't know what's in your pantry and how long it's been there. But if you write it down and the date that you bought it, then it's like you have like this master list too. So doing the post-it method or having a master list separately 
you know, depending on how organized you are, obviously. Um, I just thought that that was such a great tip. Knowing what's in your pantry opens up such worlds of like new creativity and new opportunities in your home cooking. I feel like when I discover something in my pantry that I've forgotten about for months, I'm like, I could have been using that the whole time. Like that could have spun off into so many good meals if I just even knew it was in there. Exactly. And how many times have you like bought turmeric like five times, you know, like Mm -hmm. people go through that because they don't know if they had it and they're at the grocery store already and they're like, okay, I'm just going to buy. And then you're just like, you have like five jars of whatever spice I don't know. I just feel like pantry is always kind of one of those things where I'm just like, I don't know how to tackle this. You're always going to be chasing the goal of like a more functional, more organized pantry. At least I feel like I am. And then maybe like doing the whole rummaging every or like going through your pantry and organizing it at least once a month. I know that sounds pretty ambitious, but like if you do it, then you'll like save a lot of money. You'll use a lot of the stuff that, you know, you didn't know you had. Things like that. Obviously, I haven't organized my pantry for like two years. I don't even know. (laughs) So I I need to uh, definitely do some organization in my pantry. Feels good. If you do it like often, then it doesn't have to be that bad. So one of the tips that really stuck out to me in listening to your show was your tip about um, like kind of bringing life to side dishes with caramelized kimchi. Um, so I just would love to hear more about like how exactly you cook that and how you work it into side dishes. Oh my gosh. Caramelized kimchi is mind blowing. It's, it's mm-hmm. once you discover this, it's like, you need to add it to everything. It's kind of like caramelized onions, but like better. It, wow. it, yeah, I know. Um, so you do it kind of the same way as you would do a caramelized onion, um, chop up the kimchi, Uh, maybe a little bit of oil and on low heat, you just kind of cook it for, you know, eight to nine minutes. Um, And obviously depending on the amount of kimchi that you have, and it just becomes this robust, smoky, and it brings out like sweetness and it's just so delicious. And I add that to, like I said before, I I love to add that to like sour cream and like make a dip with it. Mm -hmm. Or I would, I would add that as a topping to a burger or hot dog or a sandwich, or even, um, I I love to make sauce with it. That's a big one. Mm -hmm. Or like dressings. So, so, so delicious. And it's so versatile. I mean, Honestly, I could just like eat it on its own. A lot Mm -hmm. of the times when I eat at home alone, what I'll do is like I'll like caramelize kimchi and eat that with rice and eggs. Mm -hmm. And always with a little sweetness. Um, Oh, right. So I I do add honey. Well, it depends on the application. Like if Mm -hmm. I'm adding it to a dip, I won't add honey. But if I'm doing a uh, burger topping or eating it by itself or using it as a condiment or a side, then I'll add a touch of honey to to bring a little bit of like a tiny bit more sweetness to it. It reminds me a little bit of um, this sheet pan dinner that I've made of Hetty McKinnon's that it like, you know how sheet pan dinners like they sound so promising, but then <laughs> like either they don't have a lot of flavor or you have to do a lot of stuff to them to get a lot of flavor. Like you right. have to 
like do things in stages. And it's like, well, I, I just wanted to put everything on a sheet pan yeah. at once. She, she's got this, <laughs> this one on, on New York Times cooking that I love and it uses, um, it uses kimchi. And so basically it brings all of that flavor without having to do a lot of interventions. Right, and so right. I think her main recipe uses Brussels sprouts and pierogi, like refrigerated or fro- frozen pierogi. And the, and the kimchi, and then it just like all caramelizes together, and then she serves it with um, just like a dill sour cream dip. And it's it, it felt like truly the most rewarding and least effort and most flavorful sheet pan dinner I had made. So um, I love the idea of taking just the kimchi part of it out to, to add flavor to other things. Oh my gosh, that kind of, because when you roast it in the oven like that, it probably mm-hmm. has similar qualities as like the mm-hmm. caramelization because like slightly like smoky and crispy at the end. I should try baking kimchi now. Like now that's a thing. Now I'm going to have to try that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's like, oh my gosh, I have to bake it. Which will be like a little bit different because it will be slightly like dehydrated and have like a different mm-hmm. texture, textural component. Because I, I love like grilling kimchi as well. Like mm. I love grilling it. I like smoking kimchi. I love caramelizing kimchi. Cooked kimchi, I think, is so delicious. And um, people don't really know to do this, but like I, I love cooked kimchi. And now I'm going to have to try baking it because now you inspired me. Well, I'm going to have to try caramelizing <laughs> it on the stovetop and grilling it. And putting it in ramen. <laughs> yes, everything. <laughs> Generally, with Hotline Offline hosting it, I just feel like never let your curiosity go away. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think the whole series is about being curious and wanting to know more and digging deeper into like specific topics and, you know, knowing more and knowledge is power and it makes you a much better, it makes you that much of a better cook. So mm-hmm. for me, it's been special in a sense where, it, you know, some of the things that I didn't even know that I was curious about, you know, popped up and I'm like, oh, now I want to know this. Now I want to know that. And, you know, it just gets your brain like really like refreshed. And it, it, it's been like so awesome because of that. I love that. You don't have to have a plan to be curious. Yeah. Because like you, there's things that you're curious about that you don't even know yet. Yeah, Exactly. I didn't even like, I was like, I didn't think that I cared about that, but I actually care a lot. (laughs) You know, a lot of those moments. (laughs) I love that. Thanks for listening. And my thanks to Esther Choi, host of the Hotline Offline podcast and owner and chef of Mock Bar and Ms. You in New York City. This week's episode was put together by Amy Schuster, Harry Sultan, Paul Schuler, and Emily Hanhan. If you have a favorite way to eat kimchi, I would love to hear about it at genius at food52.com or just tag me on Instagram at McGlorious. And if you like the Genius Recipe Tapes and the Food 52 Podcast Network, the very best thing that you can do to support us and to help other people find the show is to take a moment to leave us a five-star rating or review. Or send this episode to someone that you would love to spend the day making dumplings with. Thanks so much. Talk to you next week.